Drumming. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Jerry Pentecost. Jerry is a Nashville native and has worked with John Prine, Brent Cobb, Amanda Shires, Caitlin Rose, Aaron Lee Tashin, and many others. In 2018, he became only the second drummer ever nominated for the Americana Music Association's Instrumentalist of the Year Award. Since around 2019, Jerry has been the drummer for the Grammy Award-winning group Old Crow Medicine Show. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I do here at the podcast, you can become a Patreon member. Find us at patreon.com slash working drummer. Any donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content that's provided by our former guests. This content covers a variety of topics, but it's all educational and applicable to the working professional. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can find links to both of these things on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. And while you're there, you can find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done over the years. And no matter what your platform of choice is for listening to podcasts, giving us a like, a rating, and review always helps us grow. So Jerry's one of those drummers I've known about for quite some time, and I'm glad we finally got a chance to sit down and connect and talk about his experience growing up as a Nashville native and finding his voice in country music, in Americana, in roots music. So band leading for an artist like Amanda Shires to working with a Grammy award-winning band like Old Crow Medicine Show. We get into the arc of his story. We also talk about uh, many of the drummy drum things that he's been involved in, but also uh, being a man of color working in this genre in a group like Old Crow Medicine Show that is rooted in country and traditional country music. Uh, He lends his voice to some experiences that only somebody like he experiences. And I'm so glad that he opens up about that. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jerry Pentecost. Ever since I was a young boy, I had a wandering soul. I walked and crawled across six state lines by the time I was eight years old. I landed in some cornfield. They called a town on the road. So I climbed up on that water tower, man. But the city was a My friends used to ask me when they moved to Nashville, uh, 
should I move to Nashville? Can I make it as a musician? And I'd be like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to play music for a living? Like yeah. you can play on Broadway. Like yeah. that's a living, you know, do you want to yeah. be in touring or cover bands that tour? Like that's making a living as a musician too. Like, or do you want to just play for artists? I was like, I can tell you right now, like if you're expecting to move here and just jump in the studio world, that's probably really slim. But if you get on with an artist that is in a mindset that always wants its uh, touring band to record on its record, so that way, you know, like there's really no transfer, then then that's the ideal situation. And then you get both. You get live, you get studio, you know. Well, so. it's the ideal situation for if that's what you want. If that's what you want. I mean, exactly. there's even, there's now there's more and more stories of people that are staying in their hometown yeah. and building their studio, their mm -hmm. home studio. Now Everything's remote now is what it feels like, or yeah, 90% of it, yeah. you know? So a lot of big records are still being made in Blackbird and, yeah, exactly. and you know, um, but I think also, you know, like uh, the pandemic has taught us that you don't really have to leave the house to do all the things that you quote unquote want to do. I love live playing and I've, I've, you know, like I've been playing for, I don't even remember how long, but <laughs> thousands and thousands of gigs. And, and I think I've just like, that's just, that's always been my comfort zone. Yeah. So, um, well, when we, before we got set up, you and I were chatting about as the world is opened back up, touring yeah. is opened back up and now everyone is demanding our time and mm -hmm. trying to balance. I think this is really this is really important, something that I hadn't planned on talking about, but if you want to create a full-time gig, if you want to be a full-time musician, sometimes you have to balance and you have to juggle multiple groups that you work with. Yeah. And it's like, how do you do that knowing that oftentimes people want you on the same date? Yeah. It's you know? like, to me, I always... I mean, I have a saying with my friends, like, get the bag first, worry about the rest later. So, like, book the show, and then it's like if stuff starts to land on top of each other, I always try to let people know ASAP, like, hey, I'm not going to make it. But the problem is, is when I started out in my early 20s, I was playing for up to, like, 20 different artists, quote, right. unquote, or, like, bands. Yeah. You know, like, I just had all of these set lists on my phone, and just and I kept the notes in my snare drum case just ready to go, you know, like, when needed. But it's inevitable, like at some point, you know, like somebody that you're going to be on tour with is going to have a show that, uh, you know, like on, a, on like a down period where you already said you do a show with somebody else. Yeah. And so you have to decide, do I lose the tour and potentially lose playing with that artist or do I take this in town show? And I, I tried really hard to not make it about the money. Because like, because sure. if you start thinking about the money, you kind of get stressed out thinking about how little money that you're making. So I was like, all right, like you kind of grade it by like, all right, like where's the potential? Where's the loyalty? And, and, you know, like the situation. So a lot of times I'd end up going, you know, like if I'd been touring with somebody for a while, like I would cancel that one off or, you know, like recommend some substitutions and whatnot. And then that way, if that gig comes around again, you know. I always prioritize touring because like I said, that's kind of where my heart is at. But, um, but yeah, you know, like I, I've, I've been playing in Nashville in town for decades now. And, you know, so like, I, I love this city, but I, I really like what I was saying earlier is that it's kind of like a relationship, you yeah. know? So like we're, 
when you're on tour with somebody or you've been touring with someone like you're going steady with that person y'all are girlfriend and boyfriend 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 <laughs> girlfriend girlfriend like yeah. whatever you know your your specifications are yeah but you know like if, if you're just kind of playing in town casually which that was most of what i was doing was playing uh you know like uh showcases or you know like um, headlining sets at, at the, this would be before the basement East. So like the basement or, or mercy lounge or, or, you know, even, um, the end, you know, or exit in like, and, and you're just playing every couple months, then, you know, like you, you might have to step out of that gig and it sucks because that person might be depending on you. But, but with that person, you're just dating. So it's like, are we exclusive? Are we not? You know, like, right. So you could probably date somebody else and I'd be okay with that. But then, you know, like, Maybe we'll date again. So. <laughs> well, I think I think the important thing, the takeaway for me is you're talking about not making money the issue, mm-hmm. like creating loyalty, creating this kind of yeah. reputation for honesty that carries more weight. And over the long term, that's going to pay off. Yeah. So financially, in a sense, it makes more sense to if I, I've always say like as soon as and I tell people this too, I say as soon as I say yes, then I am your drummer, mm-hmm. uh, and You're drummer for the foreseeable future until something it, right, right. Yeah. Or if I say yes to a gig or, or, or doing the session that means that I will be there. Therefore, if you're going to pay me 50 bucks, then I'm not going to be able to say yes. I'm going to say... Well, then that changes your direction because you can't always say yes because then there's so many other factors that play in. Like when another gig comes up, I remember I was on tour with this guy and... um, and I can't even remember the band. It was like a rock band. But anyway, they were like headlining uh, Exit In. And, and the guy that I was on tour for, we were making like, I think it was like 60 or 70 bucks a night. Not not a show, a night. And, uh, and you know, and like we go out and we play like two, maybe three shows in the span of six or seven days. And they'd oh. all be like 12-hour drives. Oh, so it's like you're really not, you know, like you're wasting a lot of time and you're really not making a lot of money. And it was fine. Like the band was great. You know, like it was a good hang. It was fun. But uh, I remember being out one time and like somebody offered me this, like this band was coming through and their drummer got stopped in customs and they're like, they need somebody to play drums. And like a, a drummer that I really respect reached out to me because he couldn't do it and was like, you're the only other guy that I would send this to. And I was like, Ooh, that could be really, really good. Cause yeah. it was a band also that I liked and respected. And, um, And it, yeah. And I was like, all right, well now I'm like this conundrum of do, do I tell this guy like, Hey, I know I'm out on tour with you. And like this show was going to definitely pay me more than I would have made on that on probably three or four of his runs. Mm. It was like, do I try to fly home and cram this set real quick and, you know, probably like stumble through it. Or do I stay out on tour in the middle of Louisiana in the summer and, and, you know, and sweat it out in this van for four more days and play two more shows? Literally sweat it out. Yeah. (laughs) I chose to stay on the, on the loyalty factor. And like, that's, I don't ever want to like knock on artists because like, they're the ones that, you know, like quote unquote get us paid. But like, it's like loyalty within a band is, is, is something that like, I feel like an artist never has to worry about because, Mm. you know, like it especially in a place like Nashville where like musicians can become disposable, you know, like there's a lot of artists that feel that way. It's like, if you don't work, I'll get somebody else, you know, like there's no like strong attachment versus like when I join a band, you know, like I'm wanting to build something. Like if I, like you said, you know, like if you say yes, like, like I'm here because not only do I believe in you, but you know, like 
like we, we have like a similar thing and, and, you know, and like we're, we're both on like a path, a path up, you know, like not right. down, not sideways. Like we're both trying to go up. So, um, so that's why I think I stayed away from touring and like being in a band for so long because, um, not everyone's trajectory is the same. Right. And I think it's important to, to, to note that when you're in a town like Nashville and there's multiple examples across the country mm-hmm. and, and the world where the talent pool is deep. Yeah. That if you want to stay in, if, if you want to keep a gig mm-hmm. with somebody and you have to sub it out, you know, a lot of times it's, it's really good to sub it out to somebody that you know is just going to like kill it. Yeah. It's going to be great. Oh yeah. Cause it reflects on you either way. It like does. If you're, so I was in a similar situation. I'm not going to say any names. Um, I played, I've been the drummer and band leader for this artist for multiple years at this point. We had some time off. I reached out to management because I got another tour. They said, we're not going to do anything. So take this tour. And then, um, you know, months go by and this is like months in advance, months go by. And then all of a sudden we get two shows opening up for Willie Nelson. Hmm. Now I'm heartbroken because I'm like, I want to do those shows. And it's like, once again, I'm faced with the choice. Do I cancel this month long tour where I'm getting paid? Not every show night, every night. So it's like, I've finally like risen up Mm -hmm. into that Mm -hmm. and you know, killer band, great artist, probably one of the better artists that I play for as far as how he treats his band. Um, or do I do this show for this person who I've been their MD for and, you know, and like, and it's just two shows, it's Willie Nelson. It's like, so I had to decide because once again, loyalty, you know, like I committed to this guy first, I went through all the proper channels and I decided that like I would do this person's tour and I made it my personal business to find a, a suitable, more than suitable replacement for these two shows. Right. And I attended rehearsals, you know, like I sent full on notes, everything like that. And, you know, like I, this was the one of, you know, like I probably the only person I would have handed it to at this point in time, based on like who I knew and the style of music. And, you know, the, I think, you know, like I heard like mixed results, the band was like, eh, it was just okay. You know, like, and, and, the artist was not happy. And I think it just ultimately built, um, went down to the fact that it wasn't me, you know? So mm-hmm. like it, it's like we had created this thing and they were comfortable. Yeah. Boy, it, you know, like it, it tore me apart for a while too, because I was like, you know, like I don't want to be there. And then once again, because I'd created, I'd, I'd been with this person for multiple years and, and had been given the title of MD, you know, like, I'm like, it's kind of like, cheating you know like someone's <laughs> cheating on your girlfriend with you and like you've given so them approval. like that's like you're engaged yeah exactly yeah you know like when you're looking at <laughs> you're the, not married the steps yet. you know so yeah like md is like yeah you're not married it's like i think salary might be marriage so yes there you uh, go it's like if you're looking Let's at the expand this analogy here, yeah <laughs> so we'll we'll put these terms on a spreadsheet later but <laughs> i think uh yeah so like i you know like we're engaged in the situation i basically like went and handpicked this person was like i want you to sleep with my girlfriend and i'm gonna watch and then and then you're <laughs> and then you're notes. gonna tell me all about like how you felt and everything like that <laughs> and then you know like yeah it was it was a weird situation but um you know like it the shows, they happen. It was fine. You know, you live to, to see another day. Like, I came back the next run. It was fine. But, you know, like, it, 
there was a little bit of tension there, but it's like, what can you do? You well, know? even more reason to get somebody who you know is a killer player mm-hmm. to be your replacement. Because if the band has and, and the camp is comfortable with what you bring to the table yeah. and you've developed a rapport and, and all these other little things that are unique to you and the band at its core. Yeah. Then when somebody comes in and doesn't know all those things or yeah. doesn't do things exactly the way the artist is comfortable mm-hmm. with, they at least have a skill set that that they can fall in and they make can, it work exactly, yeah. and just kind of and 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 maybe kind of elevate the, so it's the like show. It'll, it'll be different. Other, it'll be different, but, but it'll be just as good. But yeah, yeah, I, I had that experience recently, and it, and it's like the, the the player that subbed for me is just it's just a monster. But when I came back, you know, one of the one of the artists, it's three artists. One of the one of the singers is like, "Oh, cool, you're back. Well, you know how we start this song. Like yeah. it was just something little, very simple yeah. that they didn't care about." Oh yeah, I mean, it goes down to everything. Whether you count the song off one, two, three, four, or yeah. one and two and three, and I know. you know, it's little stuff like that that somebody might turn around and be like, "Oh my god, I've never heard that before." You know, like and I played with a lot of artists that like they. They need consistency just as much oh my as we gosh. do. And I preach that, you know, like in sound checks and whatnot, like it's important that we start songs and end songs, you know, like the same way. So that way everybody gets comfortable well, because otherwise it's just chaos on stage. Here's the thing. Know? A lot of us work with with singers that do the same 12 or 20 songs mm-hmm. over a course of a few years yeah. where those of us that are working musicians have to know a couple thousand songs or, uh, you know, adapt to any scenario. Absolutely. And, and, and that's a skill set that we've had to learn, which is fine. And, yeah. and, 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 and not that there's one way or another that's, that's better, but, uh, th- my point is, is that the artist just gets really comfortable with things being a certain way. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, it's just... Well, it relaxes them so they, they don't have to think about it because it's like repetition, like anything else. Like yeah. anytime you start doing something, like there's a lot of discomfort as far as like how your body feels, what your mind is thinking, but then you get into this habit and this flow. And then it's just like, you know, like people, somebody asked me the other day, I was playing this gig and I was a little nervous before the gig, like... You know, like I don't get nervous anymore because like this is what I love to do. Yeah. Like I'm so passionate about it. I'm backstage like doing jump kicks and like like my pre warm up thing is kind of ridiculous. And I just do stuff to like hype myself up. Like I said earlier, I'm kind of an undercover jock. So uh, <laughs> and and, you know, and like we come out there and it's awesome. And I was sitting there and this girl's like this woman. She was like, are you, are you nervous? And I was like, no, I'm not really nervous. I was mostly just kind of like thinking because I had said how I would count songs off and I just wanted, I wanted the gig to go so well. And yeah. it did go well. I was really, really happy with the way it went. But like I, you know, I think some of those things came from is like I was playing with a group of people that I'd never played before. You know, mm-hmm. like we were getting screened for COVID. It's like a bunch of people were coming back from festivals. It was like one person had to drop off the show because they had gotten COVID the week before. Like mm-hmm. there was just so much weight, you know, like within the situation. Is this just, the medallion ceremony? This was the medallion okay, ceremony. Okay, I wanted to ask about that. Yeah. And I'm just sitting in this room, like waiting. And I at this time, like I had been going through what I was pretty sure was out al- was allergies, which was which I never get because I've lived in Tennessee my whole life uh, but like i i think i ate like some nacho cheese or something and i'm finding out in my late 30s that i'm uh, having a dairy issue now but yeah so it's like i'm just sitting in this room and you know like she passes by and she's like are you nervous and i was like 
not so much on the gig, like more or less, I guess that I don't have COVID, you know, like, so that way I can play the gig. And then I got there and it was like, everything was fine, but it was, um, it was very, very entertaining. And, you know, like I had to like get in my, my place. I didn't feel comfortable doing my workup routine, (laughs) you know, is in the hallway, you know, like, because her mom had just passed and like, everybody's, you know, like, embracing and it's just like I had to go to a different place in my head and, and well okay so explain to people what what was so this was the medallion ceremony it was at the country music hall of country fame. music hall of fame it was a uh, Sunday May 1st and uh and they did two within the span of a year so like the last one was in November because we didn't have one for 2020 2021 I think or 2020 we didn't have one for 2020 so they moved that one to last year and then this one would have been the one for so the people that were inducted in 2021 so this was the event and then they'll you know like do another set of people later on Um, and in this particular ballot Eddie Bayers the in my mind, and and I don't think anybody can ever change that, is the greatest country drummer of, will go down in history as the greatest country drummer of all time. Yeah. So, um, so I was chose to be in the house band to represent him because he would typically be in that house band. And mm-hmm. I remember talking to Cal, and he was like, "So I can't. I'm inducted, and I I still can't play." You know, like he <laughs> he he's that passionate, and I was like, and that's what. Uh, you know, like I, I, I love people like that, you know, like it gets me get hyped up because, you know, like I, I love seeing other people that are that passionate about drums. I can literally, I, I don't try to test anymore, but I can talk about drums all day because, you know, like that's just, that's what I do. That's what I love. But so we, um, yeah, we had Vince, uh, Garth, um, Trisha, we had all these different artists coming on and playing, you know, like one song in reference to like one of the artists that were being. And so also on that ballot was Ray Charles and um, P. Drake, the steel player and um, the Judds. Right. So so four four inductees and, you know, and like so each inductee, the 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 songwriters. Uh, so the Judds and Ray Charles, they got three songs each. And then the instrumentalist Pete Drake and Eddie got two songs each. Mm-hmm. And I'm on stage, I'm like in the back, and this the first time they'd done it with a shield too, because I, I've I've gotten to attend a couple of these and I've gotten to play one before just sitting in. But you know, like when I was it, when I was contacted about being the house drummer for the whole thing, I was like, For real? Like me? Nice. Like, okay. You know, yeah. like like someone with a resume that's not even like a 64th of you know like eddie's but you know like i I think it was more or less like i said i you know like my passion and and being somewhat associated i've done stuff with the country music hall of fame before sure i mean that Uh, that right there is is really important and you developed some relationships with that and that that's been a a nice uh gateway into totally part of this as well and it's a world that like you know like i kind of teeter along like i i'm not you know old crow is a country band like through and through there's no doubt about that but um but you know like as far as like country in present time not so much country and pastime, absolutely. Sure. You know? So like it, like so, I'm I'm navigating through these like uh, very uh, rough this rough terrain. I, I guess that's you know like as far as like kind of going back and forth or yeah. in between. But yeah, it was a it was a beautiful night. I'm I'm on stage and I'm behind this you know like half shield 
only on the front, not on the side. Okay. So like I couldn't really get a full sense of I'm playing this Rogers kit that I was loaned out by Drum Paradise, who Harry and AJ crushed it. Um, and to my left is Brent Mason playing <laughs> guitar. And to my right, it's Biff Watson, the band leader and acoustic yeah. guitar player. Directly in front of me is Eddie Bayers. Like his face is just directly in front of me. So like the, I spent a lot of time looking to the left to Matt, the monitor guy, because I was like, you know, like if he grimaced, you know, like if I did something that he didn't like, I didn't want to see it, you yeah. know. But every time I kind of like played and turned over to him, he's just kind of all smiles. And I was like, and as you, you know, you should be, you're being inducted into the country it's music hall of fame. It's intimidating to have Eddie Bears there, but his personality yeah. is not intimidating at all. No drummer has been inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Like, like this is such a, a big deal. And they, they, said, they showed a slideshow at one point. I think he was on a third of the recordings that were on like the top 50 or something like that yeah. in the mid-90s on yeah. recordings. Um, I mean, like, the, the dude just works and, and like, his, his, like, everything he's doing. What I was drawn to with him is mostly that he wore a hat. I was like, everybody said, you know, like, you, you can't wear shorts on stage and you're not supposed to wear a hat on stage. You know, like, he's just kind of this chill guy. And I was like, man, like, he looks cool. Like, he looks <laughs> like he's not going to be a dingus to you. You know, like, no. he's, he's, he's going to be a nice guy. You know, like, he shows up. He does what. And that's what every, from the minute I met him, I was like, he's the nicest guy he you is. could ever meet. He is. He is. So, uh, so I was very fortunate for, for that gig. It, it went really, really well. I texted him the next day because I didn't want to bother him that night. I was like. You know, like we chatted for a little bit, but I was like, man, I hope you enjoyed it. And I like, I hope I didn't screw up any of your licks too much, you know, and like, I hope it was fun. And he was like, he gave, he sent me a text that was probably one of the nicest things I've ever heard. Probably the nicest thing I've ever heard from any other drummer. He said, man, Jerry, you weren't just the pocket. You were the whole pair of pants. <laughs> and I was that. like, I, and you know, like my wife, we have this like ongoing joke all the time because she's like, she loves to say pocket because like none of her other friends know what it means. <laughs> and, and so we'll be like, listen to a song on the radio and she'll be like, that's a nice pocket. That's and a I'm nice like, pocket. And she barely knows what it means, but whatever. <laughs> and so, and she was like, pocket. Okay. Yeah. She wasn't that's there. But, well, so. let me ask you what, what two songs did you play that were dedicated to Eddie? Do you remember? We played walk away Joe with Trisha Yearwood saying, okay. and, um, when I call your name, which, okay. um, which Vince Gill, Vince Gill saying, uh -huh. and like that. So walk away Joe was more of like a hand, um, you know, like a hand drum kind of thing. And okay. so like, I just turned the snares off and, and kind of tried to mimic as much as possible yeah. because there might've been some bongos in there. Yeah. But, um, you know, like if you mute snare drums or way, you can kind of get sure. some of that effect. Sure. It's We're kind of limited with backline and, and, you know, I didn't want to be like, yeah, let me get a set of bongos, a set of congas, maybe some timbales. Too, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, uh, yeah. yeah. So my corner, some was, octobons maybe. Yeah. yeah just my to, corner was very small. I won't play so. them just for looks. <laughs> just for looks. Exactly. And throwing a whole set of rototoms. And a road to Tom kit. But, um, and then Walk Away Joe was like, or no, um, When I Call Your Name was this really, really like slow, um, okay. you know, like sway ballad esque. Kind of a waltz? Song. Yeah, like almost mm -hmm. like a waltz. And, mm -hmm. and so, like, it's really, I was playing with a brush and, um, and just trying to create that space. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, and Vince came up to me afterwards and he was like, man, that just 
what you're doing just sounds and feels so great. And I was like, yeah, there's another super talented slash nice. Well, so Vince is one of those guys too that, you know, like I've admired through, through playing with uh, Old Crow at the Opry, like I knew about him before. My mom was a huge Amy Grant fan. So like, that's kind of how I found about Vince early on. And, um, so I, you know, like I still believe in a scene. I grew up going to shows at Internet and Muse, you know, like where like the scene meant something, it meant community, it meant togetherness, you know, like everybody was always looking out for each other. And, you know, like I think as you get older, it's like obviously you're not going to shows all the time, but like those those um, characteristics stick with you, you know, like. And, and I feel like I built my entire musical career off of that same platform, you know, like mm. I'm always trying to look out for everybody what's best, you know, like not even, you know, like not just me in my sense, you know, like when I join a band, as we were saying, you know, like I'm trying to look out for everybody. I'm trying to keep everybody in time, you know, like I'm trying to make the music feel good, not just for me, for everyone, you know, like it's it's a, a collaborative effort. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, like I, I think about him and, and, you know, like, and he's, he's one of the, um, he's, he's on multiple boards that, uh, in the country music hall of fame and, and, uh, and, and, you know, like, um, what do they call those? They're performing right. Um, the P R O's. Yeah. That's mm. right. Okay. Uh, he's just he's got his hands in a little bit of everything. Sure. And so I don't, I don't know what it's called because I don't ever get any royalty money. So <laughs> I think if I did, maybe I need to call somebody at BMI. Uh, but I think if I did, then I, I probably would uh, would know a little bit. more. Know a little bit more about it. But yeah, he's just kind of like he's always been this guy and he's been so nice and respectful. Like one time my mom in law was in town and he was playing at the Opry. And so we went and, you know, and like he was nice enough to speak with her for a little bit. Um yeah. But Vince Gill talked to your mother-in-law? He did. Okay, yeah. so I have a similar story. Okay. But like right when my mother-in-law came to town before my first son was born, yeah. she's waiting in line at the Pancake Pantry, mm-hmm. and Vince is sneezing. Yeah. Standing with her while she's saving us a place in line. We're at OBGYN mm-hmm. visiting before he's born. And long story short, she doesn't know who he is, but yeah. she's a retired nurse, so tells him about allergy meds and different things like that. Yeah. And then... This, these ladies come up to him and ask him about where he's performing, and he says the Opry, and she mm. says, oh, uh, what do you do? He goes, oh, I sing a little. She goes, oh, my son-in-law's a drummer. He's like, oh, great, yeah, yeah. he's really busy. And, and I'm like, and then we show up, and they're like, yeah, I guess this guy, is Vince Skill, do you know him? He's sitting, you know, <laughs> I was like, you're kidding me, and she tells me the whole story, yeah. and I was like, oh my gosh. He's just sitting over in a corner well, eating his pancakes. and Then like, the, then I think less than a year later, Obana was touring with, had a chance to open up for he and Amy, Yeah. and I, t- I saw him at Forks, Yeah. and I just bought a box set, of his stuff mm-hmm. these days, I believe yeah. it's like four CD, great, great stuff. Oh, yeah. Chad Cromwell all mm-hmm. over it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have that in my car. And I went and I grabbed it. I said, Vince, I don't normally do this, but would you sign this for my mother-in-law? So it was a Christmas gift. So he writes, he, he was happy to do it. Yeah. You know, I hate to, hate to bother anybody yeah. with that. But so that was probably the best Christmas gift I could have given Oh yeah, this autographed custom to and, Kitty Love Vince. And was she like, "Oh, that was the young man with the allergies," or was exactly. she like, you know? Well, she kind of knew. She kind of knew, and 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 she got to know, and and then not uh, the multi Grammy award winning at that know? point. And then she's like, "Okay, now I can kind of hit myself to who this guy is, and uh, and have this autograph box set." We uh, were at the medallion ceremony. We were playing. 
And I look over, you know, like it's very like closed off thing before, um, you know, like everything opens up and I look over and uh, I can't remember whose song we were working on, but I look over and I'm like, that looks like Vince Gill over there. But I don't think like he's, he was just like he watched some of the rehearsal. Like he was just enjoying it. Like he's a fan of music. And uh, and, you know, like I've, I've always wanted to collaborate. He's one of those people I've always wanted to do some with. So I was like really thankful that I got to play a song with him and and you know and like if that's all it ever ends up being then that's yeah, awesome you that's know? great I'm i thought about fan. that a lot um up there you know that uh when i was just listening to cal young talk about eddie and and they play a video with that you know like what what's going through any musician's mind who's you know like just i feel like honestly like i feel like my career is kind of just getting started mm -hmm. and and you know like i probably won't have a career as illustrious as eddie bears but like a lot of people won't i'd say like 90 percent of people it was a different have, time it was a sure. different time and yeah. you know and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about like what do you want to accomplish with mm -hmm. your, your you know your musical career a like a lot of it's out of your hands you know, like I put the work in, you know, like grinding. You can probably ask everybody, like I'm kind of annoying on the road because like I'll find a spot and, and you know, like I'll I'll just start, pra I, I probably practice probably at least an hour and a half to two hours before we sound check. And then I'll come back and I'll, you know, like warm up before the show. Uh, I just started playing mandolin like a year and a half ago. Oh, so cool. like I would find a spot right. and do scales, you know, like sometimes we don't always play a place where like everybody has a green room or there's multiple. So I'm just like, doing scales next to Morgan as quietly as I can, you know, but at like, a, to me, like it's important to really, really, um, focus on that stuff. So, um, you know, like I, I, I think musically, I just never want to let anybody down. And that I, I goes back you. to that I community. You. you know yeah. what I mean? Like that scene, like if you really, really care, I never took a gig unless I knew I took one gig that I was, I showed up and I was underprepared and I was like, I told that artist, I was like, dude, if you ever hire me again, I was like, I know this was bullshit. Pardon my French. I was like, and, and I did okay. I was like, I stumbled through it. I had to read my notes the entire, because I just wasn't super familiar. I'd gotten off a cruise and didn't have any internet and couldn't do the, you know, so like I basically, when I got home, I had eight hours to prep for this gig and then go play it. And, uh, and I was like, if you ever hire me again, like I will, destroy your set like i will crush it like that is a guarantee mm -hmm. and he took me out on tour and we did um we did um sweden and oslo and um a, a couple other places in scandinavia and like and we went out as a power, power trio like not his typical like four piece like yeah. you know like that has guitar extra guitar key uh, and like we were, I mean, like the first show was a festival and like across the way, I think like Ice Cube was like, you know, like, so I was like, this is a major festival. We're all like jet lagged. And I was like, I, I you know, after the first show, I was like, I promise you, like I would cry. And like, I went in every night for him nice. because I was like, I felt like I owed that. And who him. was this? This was Aaron Lee Tashin. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and this was like at the beginning, you know, so like he, I, so I wore my, my shirt today because I was like, I, I need to be street cred in my own shit, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I, I I hosted this country night and I'd had him perform on it. And yeah. that's how, and this was right around when, um, I can't remember the name of that record that came out, but it's the one with him on the cover wearing like the, the sparkly suit, yeah. that, you know, like that had uh, the movie song. And I'm so bad with name titles now just because oh, yeah, it, me too. I was going to say, I look at my chart sometimes and I'm like, what the hell, a stray dog? Like, whose song is that? And, and it just, it just never connects. But, um, but yeah, we went out and, and it was great. I, you know, like we connected 
through having him on that. And then he was like, hey, why don't you play a gig with me sometimes? And so I did. I played that one gig. It was just okay. And then we went out and toured, and I did a couple one-off things for him. But we were opening up for North Mississippi All-Stars over there. And I'll tell you who else was on that bill. And this was 20... 16 2017 i think it was 2017 a young undiscovered yola was on that bill oh okay playing in a country band playing acoustic guitar with a bunch of you know like country guys from from london and uh and yeah and she was like i think two or three of like seven it was like a rotating stage every night so like you know someone would start over there and as soon as they finished then you know like this stage would start sure and so uh aaron was like i guess six of seven then the north mississippi all-stars were seven of seven and it was just cody and luther so after two nights of being on this you know like two week run whatever you know luther was like why don't you start playing like sitting in with us so i was like for real? You know, because we ride in the, the there were like four sprinter vans carrying everybody. Uh-huh. It was Roland Rootsy Review. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. Man, I should have ate my Wheaties last night. <laughs> uh, babies will do that to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but we, you know, like we'd be, you know, like hanging out and, you know, chatting shit in the van and, and he'd be, you know, like Cody would be like, man, like I, that thing you was doing on that one song, that was real cool. Like you want to come in and sit on this song and do something similar to that. And I'd be like, yeah. And then, you know, like and then it turned into me basically like you're going to play one song tonight. It's really going to be like four songs. And then he just turned to me and be like, Stevie Wonder. Like and I'd be like, OK, and I play something, you know, like along the lines that would fit like Stevie Wonder. And he'd just be like straight funk, you know, and like mm-hmm. I'd play something. But, yeah, it was a very loose Big family thing, but yeah, That's like amazing. it was really, really cool. I kept in touch with, with Yola um, through the years, and, and it's obviously been awesome to see her success. Yeah, but yeah. when I met her and I saw her the first time, she put chills down my face, and I said, that girl's going to do something. I was like, I ho- whoever lands with her, I was like, and I tried when I came, uh, I think she had the same agent as um, Amanda Shires when I first started playing with her, mm-hmm. and I was like, dude, like she, like, I'm so glad that you got her, because literally, like, she's going to do something, like, I promise. Yeah, we had like, Megan yeah. Coleman on not too long ago. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw her. that. It was yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah. So Amazing story. Well, tell me about Old Crow, man. Like, yeah. you joined in 2019. 2019. How did that come about? It, I joined right before, we, we got maybe two and a half months of touring before we shut it down for the year, did the rhyming shows, and, uh, and then obviously, you know, COVID early, early, you know, 2020, but I, so in 2018, going into 2019, uh, their old tour manager, Walker, who now I believe works with the Avid Brothers, it's fun, Nashville's real small. And then sometimes when you tour, like other places are real small too. So Walker's wife is my wife's old roommate from New York. They're both lived in Brooklyn for multiple years. And she relocated to Nashville for Walker. My wife relocated to Nashville for me. But so I had met his wife and, you know, like through hanging out with my wife, obviously, or, you know, like at that time, girlfriend, and we were long distance for a while. And so they were like, hey, you know, like the and I think that was his last year with the band, too. He was like, you know, they're doing um, doing the rhyming New Year's Eve shows if you guys want to come. And I was like, I can't. I, I've had um, a standing New Year's Eve gig for a long time with the 90s cover band, my so-called band. So okay. uh, so I rap with them when I obviously I can't do it anymore. But it was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, 
And so I was like, yeah, we'll come on the 30th. And so like we had a bunch of stuff going on that day. And like we, you know, like we were really only able to catch like the last 30 minutes, which was like two songs and then Wagon Wheel. And so, um, so, but Warren Treaty was opening up and I've been friends with Michael and Tanya for a while. Um, and so, you know, like, so I went backstage to, are they from New Jersey? Uh, I can't, I feel like they're, they're definitely from up North somewhere, like maybe Michigan. Okay. Somewhere in Michigan, okay. I think. Uh, I, I think I know who you're talking That's about. That's what I say. That's yeah. what I want to say. But yeah, Warren Tree, they've been killing it the last couple of years. And, um, and you know, like I talked on and off about playing drums with them a little bit, but I met them, um, at the 2017 or 2018 Americana Awards. They were, that was the first time they were mm-hmm. like guests and they were up for like duo of the year, I yeah. think. So they're up for duo of the year this year as well. Okay, so cool. they'll probably win it most times because they're probably the only true Americana duo out there right now, I think. So anyway, but, um, but yeah, I was walking backstage and, and, uh, I passed this green room and I thought, you know, like everybody pretty much cleared out at that point. And this guy was like, Hey, 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 can you come here for a second? And I was like, sure. And it was catch. And mm-hmm. he was like, Hey man, I, I've been wanting to meet you. I'm, I'm catch. And I was like, it took me a minute to be like, cause he had gotten out of the stage clothes. I was like, Oh yeah, you were that dude. That was just like, I only knew Corey. Corey was the only person in the band that like I actually knew well and like hung out with, gotcha. uh, just through our association. You know, like I've spent a lot of time touring in a band with Joshua Headley, which Joshua Headley was in the trio with Justin Towns Earl with them. And so like their buddies, you know, oh, like wow. we just kind of rotated around each other a lot. Mm-hmm. So we got to know each other. He comes sing on my country night from time to time. And so with Chance, before Chance left Oak Crow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never knew Ketch. I never knew Morgan. I never knew anybody else in the band. And so, um, so yeah, he pulls out this Nokia phone and takes my number that's like falling apart. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, like I, I was just, he's, he's just, he's, he's a character. And, uh, and like we, you know, like we just chatted real quick, but it was like super brief and funny and, you know, and it was just really light. I didn't really think much of it. Cause that's just the way Nashville goes. Like you meet somebody and they're like, I need to put you on a record. And it's like, you don't ever hear from that person again. Or like, oh, I know. We need to do a show together. And then you never hear from I that person again. I don't count my chickens. And then when you ever. see them again, they're yeah. like, we need to do that show. And it's like, yeah, yeah. You yeah, got my number. It. Yeah. It's been the same for two decades Call now. Me. You know, like, yeah. And you got Instagram. Yeah. You get Facebook. Yeah. You know, like Friendster, all that shit. Yeah, like you can reach me anyway. Like I'm public domain, dude. And uh, and he, yeah, so we exchanged numbers and we were initially talking about this other idea that had nothing to do with Old Crow. Um, and, and you know, like we got together, had breakfast a couple times and, you know, like went on a couple runs and stuff like that. And then, um, and then I was out on tour with this guy, Brent Cobb, who I started playing with in 2019. And he called me and he was like, hey, Okro's trying to do some stuff and um, and, and we're, we're experimenting with the idea of adding a drummer. So we just need somebody to come in and like play some stuff. Would you be interested? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. And then he told me the dates and I was like, ah, I'm still out with Brent. And I started with Brent in February of 2019. So this is like October. So I feel like I owe him at this point. I was like, this dude has kept me on the road. You know, like he's going to record a record this later this year, which he's already told me he's put me on. And like to me that like that might be close to marriage. That might be level to the it engagement. It kind of goes back when to somebody what we, tells, we were talking about Yeah, before. the hierarchy, you know, like when yeah. somebody tells you like, we're going to record a record and you're going to be on it, like records are forever. You know what yeah. I mean? So like that's, that's a you know, like a, a joining um, venture that like really, really makes you feel like you belong somewhere sure. when someone decides it's to do that. It's your sound. Exactly. You know, so you're asking me to, you know, like, you're saying that like you want my personal touch on this record exactly. and, and you're fighting the producer who probably wants to hire his own guy, you know what <laughs> I mean? which we all know how that works. So, um, 
so yeah, so I, uh, you know, like I, I, I sent him a list of names and I was like, man, best of luck. Like, I wish I could do it, but like, I, I just can't, I'm on, on tour. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like he checked out names. He called me back 30 minutes later and he was like, I need to rephrase this. Okro is looking for a drummer and we want you. We want you to do like we all talked about it, discussed it. And we all thought that you would be the perfect person for this band. You're the piece that's missing right now. So are you interested? Mm. And I was like, shit. Because once again, somebody's going to get hurt. You know, like yep. you got to figure it out. And so um, I had had a talk earlier with Brent in the year and he was kind of like, yeah, man, you know, like I, I kind of want to focus more on songwriting. So he had told me if I had subs in mind, because he was like, I know you're not going to be able to do everything with me. He was like, I'm like, we're not going to have a 2018 or 2019 year. We're going to have like a, you know, probably a third of that. And I was like, okay. there is no way that I, well, that's nice that he, he, he was he, honest and yeah, exactly. And you could be, yeah. Keep and gave that me some flexibility. Open. So like I had to go back to that, but the problem was, I had to jump off his tour early to make this work. Mm-hmm. So, uh, man, he's, you know, like Brent's been like a brother to me. He's been another great boss. You know, like I still, I just went out and toured with him on his gospel record that I didn't record on or anything like mm-hmm. that. He hit me up and I was like, if we got the dates open, yeah. You know, like, yeah. uh, he's been good to me over the years and, um, and it worked out. So like they finished the tour as a duo, him and Mike, who's also an old crow now. And, uh, and, and yeah, like I flew home from, somewhere in Montana and got home that morning. And then that night played the Opry with Old Crow. And that was the first time I'd ever played, didn't practice with them or anything. They were just like, these are the three songs where I didn't know any of the songs that we we're going to play. Yeah. And they were like, these are the three songs we're going to play. I didn't know that until I got there in the dressing room at that very moment. Yeah. And, uh, and it was like, and we didn't even go over wagon wheel. He was like, everybody knows wagon wheel. Okay, let's do this. And then like we went out on stage and I, Morgan was just like, just watch me. And so it was like, we just hit the ground running. Um, That's awesome. And it was a trial run thing through the rest of the year. And, you know, now, as you see, like I'm, I'm still here and (laughs) not only am I playing drums, I'm singing, co-writing songs and playing harmonica and mandolin and bones and washboard and marching snare and all the, anything else that I can. Did you expect that to be part of it? Hell no. (laughs) I, uh, I, um, I thought I went into the gig assuming that I would just be a dude that was in the background playing drums that like, they were like, we just need a drummer. That's it. Like we don't need another front man. Like we need a drummer. And that's, that's the life that, you know, like that I've lived, you know, like that, I, yeah, most I tell of my us, wife right? all the time. I'm like, like, I love being told what to do because like, I just want people to be happy. Like that's part of my job is right. being able to take criticism. I was like, but when it comes to something I really, really want to do, then I'm a little more specific. But like, you know, like I was like, we, we just can't play guessing games all day. Once again, being in a band, like being in a relationship, you know? Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So like I, it, it, the more and more shows we played and, and they told me in the beginning, they were like, maybe you want to learn how to play the washboard or the bones or, you know, like think of some, an, an old time, you know, like they threw out the idea of spoons, but everybody was kind of more intrigued with the idea of bones. What yeah. would, you know, like what would early, you know, 1900s country look like? Yeah. And, and so, and so that's what I did. I, I bought a awful pair of bones off of eBay that <laughs> tore up my hands for like two weeks and, and got to the point until I met Dom Flemons from huh. uh, the Carolina chocolate drops and, um, and he sat down with me and we actually did a couple virtual lessons where he was like, he showed me how to do the triplet and, uh, and yeah. you know, and, and, and the, the roll and shaking dice and 
and like yeah like it this community um has been really really it, it makes me feel good about the you know like the scene vibe that like i keep referencing and going back to because the people you can tell when you meet somebody like if they're really really true and they feel those ways versus where i feel like a lot of people just kind of it's like they're nice to your face and then you never really know what you know what they're saying when you're you know not or they they say yeah yeah you know like let's get together and do do that talk thing and then yeah. you know like you don't ever hear or or if you reach out and then they you know like they ignore and i told i told somebody i was like in the pandemic i was like at this point you should be able to reach out to anybody that you respect and get a lesson or you know something because yeah. these people aren't doing anything and i was like and they want to you got you might have to pay for it you know because like nothing's free but i was like you know like i i thought about that and i reached out to a couple people and i did take a couple lessons in the in the pandemic because you know like i i had nothing but time on my hands but uh, but some people didn't respond and I was like kind of crushed about that because I was like and you can see sometimes when they read it especially on Instagram so you're like you saw it and you just didn't care okay so yeah it's really interesting yeah but one thing that I found fascinating with with the arc of your story is is you're getting involved in a band that's been established for 20 plus years yeah mm -hmm. and there was some drums, but really nothing yeah. to speak of. Well, there was no, there were multi-instrumentalists that kind of played drums. Like exactly. I, Corey played drums coming up. And so, you know, like when he came in, it was like, I think that was more primary his thing. And then as the lineup shift, you know, um, he was brought up further and further. So in this particular instance. But also from the from the listener's point of view, from the fan's point of view, Old Crow Medicine Show is like this. It's a string band. Exactly, yeah, and, like, and it's 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 rooted in something that drums is almost pre drum set. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it's we talked about Corey was like, dude, I got like death threats in the beginning. I was like, really? He was like, yeah, dude. Was like, man, you're messing you're, up, old crow. Like you're you're like Bob it. Dylan. You're like the electric guitar. Yeah, Bob Dylan. <laughs> and Newport. You know, like all of a sudden it's just like, oh, like I don't know how like I feel. So I tried my best in the beginning to not stick out like to not be you know it's like i just want to blend in as much as possible i'd seen the early shows where like sometimes they had um their guitar tech bobby price come up and play drums on a song when everybody else was up front but basically critter was leaving the band again and uh charlie worsham was getting ready to leave the band so that was going to definitely put Corey in a position where it was like you're either going to play keys or banjo or mandolin but like you're always going to be up front you're not going to like there's nobody to do those things for you to play drums anymore so mm. um and then it put us in a position where it's like all right well you know like mike's on dobro and mason's on acoustic catches on fiddle Corey's on banjo like who's gonna play mandolin on this song and it's like turned to me and i was like for real like what else i got to do in this band you know but <laughs> but like it i i love uh, a challenge and i think that's that when i say undercover jock like i just grew up playing sports i got four three older brothers that were like basketball stars and my little brother was too i was the one that wasn't i'm six two and a half i probably should have been but you know but like i didn't i didn't i, I love playing basketball and i was decent but i wasn't as good as they were so like growing up playing with them like i became kind of competitive and i sure. hate it to lose i don't like to be bad at anything 
and so does my wife. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's like sometimes it's stressful in the house. But uh, but yeah, you know, well, so I was like, yeah, you want me to learn a mandolin? Like, cool. So I bought mandolin for dummies. I started doing charts. You know, yeah. I was like, I just want to be good enough to not embarrass anybody. Sure. So well, let me ask you about the drumming uh, and coming into a situation where there weren't drums before, or you yeah. have an upright bass playing as mm-hmm. opposed to an electric bass. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of us will could walk into a gig or a session and there's an upright player and yeah. think, okay, how am I going to compose my parts? How am I going to approach my kick drum patterns uh, to coincide with this different sound yeah. that an upright brings to the table that an electric doesn't? You know what's funny is I think that I have been preparing for this gig my <laughs> whole life up to this point and had no idea because... Yeah. I played with an artist in 2009. I don't ever want like say names because like I don't want to. It, it's not anything bad, but you know she was like, "You're kind of a basher after one rehearsal," and I was like, "Ooh, that's not good." I was like, "She's saying I'm playing too loud," so she made me put a, a bandana over my snare drum. Mm-hmm. And then when that was still too loud, sometimes she would ask me to play with brushes, and she liked the style that I created so much with brushes that I ended up playing brushes a lot in her show. And then fast forward playing for this guy, Johnny Corndog. Um, we were just a trio drums, acoustic guitar and fiddle. That's a weird trio. Okay. Play a lot of brushes in that as well. I think the, the combination or the relationship between upright bass and brushes. I mean, like if you think about it in a jazz sense, for sure. you know, like if you think about it in an old time sense, Strip down sense, like any way, like, you know, like I always hated playing with hot rods. It's like I have a bunch of pairs of them and I like them, but like they don't give like the definition. And I found like a way to play. Um, I actually did like a thing at the Country Music Hall of Fame uh, one time, like talking about playing in country with, you know, with brushes and like trying to get a similar effect of sticks. But, you know, but you don't get the volume. So, um, like that became like really important to me to be like super effective and efficient with brushes and playing ever since she told me like you're kind of a basher i was like i need to play lower and like almost to the point to where like sometimes i'm you know like like people were like i used to play with this dude heath haynes and uh and we used to play on broadway and and he'd be like hit the drums like he'd turn around be playing the guitar and be like hit the drums and i'm like if i hit any harder like my hands are gonna fall off but i had to remember like you know like i i built this like wall where I didn't Uh, want to go past because people had kept telling me that I was playing too loud. And then like later on, I discovered people like Tony Williams where he was like, if it's too loud, you need to go somewhere else. You know, like they were loud, like they were creative, but like they, like that, they they were passionate, you know, like, so that was just part of it. It's like, if it's loud, it's supposed to be loud. Right. Right. Loud, loud, but he was also dynamic. Yeah, exactly. So, so I was like, so I had to, so once I started discovering some of these players, like I had to try to like, and I'm not saying I'm anywhere near Tony Williams level at all, because in my mind, like he is the absolute greatest, but, um, but I, you know, like I, I learned something about dynamics from like watching and listening to these players. So it's like, so you can have both. So then like I, for him, you know, like I had to, buster up that or muster up that muscle to like play as possibly loud as I can to basically run people out of these honky tonks. And, um, (laughs) and it's like, you know, like it was just a fun band hang, but I, you know, like the brushes became part of that, like trying to find this texture between like sweet and soft and like meaty, you know what I mean? So like I actually developed, which is weird because I can't really play traditional grip like on a kit for a whole set, but I can play for a few songs, but I can play a whole set traditional grip with brushes right i noticed that you play that traditional with brushes created Mm -hmm. yeah so 
Um, but yeah, like multiple gigs with Amanda when I was with Amanda Shires, um, we played a lot of listening rooms as well as like venues. We played some festivals, but we mostly played a lot of like two to 500 cap, like kind of seated kind of situations. And, uh, yeah, if it got to a point where it was like the band was too loud on stage, then we went to brushes and, mm-hmm. you know, so like I play her whole set with brushes sometimes. And, and some of that is beautiful, man. Yeah. Some of that just because it, that, that almost gives you a new, uh, a whole new palette to yeah. work from because you're playing the room. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. You're, you're playing the room. You're listening. Like you're, I tell people all the time, your ears are like your strongest asset. When you're listening, like you can feel like what's supposed to be right. You can hear what's supposed to be right given the certain situation and the, and the, um, and the circumstances. So, um, so like, it was really important to me to, you know, like to approach it as not like, ah, this is going to suck. Like I can't play with drumsticks. Like that song needs drums, you know, like to find, like you said, you know, like to create the joy a, a, and the a, beauty a different of that. pathway right, and, exactly. and to open this new palette because some of those things we came back to and it was like, I liked, you know, she was like, I liked when you were playing it like that. And it was like, all right, yeah. she had a lot of delicate stuff. That was, um, I love playing with artists who, you know, like they go, go to 10 and then sometimes they go to two and sometimes it happens in a song. Like, cause for me, like that showcases like the ability of a band. Not everybody can do that together. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about the production of this latest record. Yeah. Was there a producer involved in this? There was my buddy, Matt Rossbang, who uh, I worked on Amanda's record to the sunset with. He was the engineer for that for Dave Cobb. And then I had also, he came to mind because um, Morgan tells me that he had mentioned him earlier and like it kind of, you know, like got glazed over because there were so many other people that they were talking Mm -hmm. with at that time. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't look like they were going to open it up. And then it became availability thing. And, and, you know, my wife was pregnant with twins. So like we had a small window of time to like record this record for me to be on it. I gotcha. So, uh, but I recorded a record with him at a creative workshop in January. And I was like, dude, like, why are y'all not talking to Matt Rossbang? I was like, he, you know, like he, if y'all want to record in your own space and you want to be comfortable, this was before his place in Memphis got built. So, so let me ask you about, uh, the process and, and, was there any uh, feedback from the band, from the producer about maybe uh, during the recording process, yeah. uh, a song, uh, a situation where like, hey, Jerry, this is what we're thinking. I, you're doing this, but can we ask you to do this? And maybe what that was? Well, it was so I was in here in this room by myself, um, okay. which is like if if you've ever been to Heartland before, it's the, the Heartland excuse me, the Heartland Hootenanny set where we did the sh- a show on YouTube and then they were all in the main tracking room together. So mm-hmm. it was obviously like a delay, like kind of going back and forth. But there's more drums on this record than there typically are on Okra Records. And I think that was kind of the thing, like everybody, you know, like we got two new members and then we recorded a record immediately. So like everybody was just kind of like feeling it out, exploring mm-hmm. their own territory. And, you know, like we would just run through things the way that we had kind of done them. We did about a week of pre-production and, okay. um, and then like sometimes it worked and, you know, we come in here and listen and get a reference. Um, I say there were a couple tracks where it was like, let's try something differently or, you know, like maybe not, um, go all the way, you know, like full kit, like maybe, you know, like let's take Tom's away and like, let's focus just on the kick and the snare drum. Right. Uh, you know, like maybe let's not play any symbols on this one. Like it was okay. kind of that kind of feedback, sure. you know, like to really, um, open up, 
the the range so that way the vocals were more present you know like if you're hitting cymbals all the time they're just swelling all over sure sure eating up a lot of that space so it sounds great by the way i had a chance to listen to the record this week we worked really really hard on it and like to me it was important because like i said it was my first record with them and um and you know like this record's a little heavier than i feel like most of the old crow records because we're there's a lot of um uh, thought-provoking content on this record as far sure. as the new Mississippi flag, D4 Bailey, um, used to be a mountain, you know, like there's a lot of songs talking about some some serious issues. And you have a co-write on a song. Defer- I have a co-write on D4, uh, D4. D4 Rides Again, and that's me singing it as well. Yeah, I yeah. wondered about that. I yeah. thought, man, that's... So, so the, just so people know, the, the record is called Paint This Town. Yeah. Uh, tell us, what is Deford Rides Again? What is so that about? Deford is, uh, Deford Bailey is the harmonica wizard and was the first African-American member of the Opry. And he was actually performing. And that's when I think it's George D. Hay came back and was like, and you know, you're listening to the Grand Old Opera or Grand Old Opry and mm-hmm. like coined the term right then after him playing. Um, and and yeah, like the you know, like something happened in 1941, I believe, where like he was dismissed from the Opry. And so like we wrote a song about it because, uh, you know, like if if you are catch the amazing harmonica player and, you know, like I think a lot of people are influenced by uh, D Ford or someone else who was influenced by him. And like his story is kind of sad. He died in, you know, Section 8 housing and. Uh, low, low income, uh, shining shoes, you know, like he didn't quite have the, you know, like he was one of the more popular stars in the early days of the Opry along the lines with Roy Cuff and Minnie Pearl. And he didn't have the same legacy that they had, or even something close, you know, mm-hmm. like he died poor. Yeah. So, um, and you know, like when we're out playing shows and, you know, and I talk about being a member of the Opry. Um, and you know, like it, that old crow is that old crow is. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I'm not particularly, but like okay. the band itself is, is still, a member of the opera. Sure. And you know, like we have to tell the story and we talk about it, you know, like we're, we're also tackling a lot of the issues, you know, like the, the history that comes along with the Opry that, you know, like they haven't completely, um, acknowledged and, and we're just all trying to figure it out in this new world where like, you know, like people feel like everybody wants to feel welcome. Like I want to feel comfortable when I go there and like several times I didn't, you know? Mm. So like, that's just kind of, uh, you know, like the world that we live in, but I'm explaining this and, and trying to help people figure it out for them themselves. Because in my mind, we have to preserve this legacy. Like this is a pioneer and, you know, and like a forgotten soldier basically. And like, and the only way to do that once again, comes back to community scene. Like we got to do it together, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's why it was important. Catch um, reached out to me and was like, you know, like I, I kind of started working on a song about D Ford Bailey. And, you know, like I want to know if you wanted to get together and write it with me. And I was like, yeah, no, no artist has ever asked me to help write a song or anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we started writing it and, and he asked me if I'd sing the chorus one time. And he was like, that's your voice needs to be on this. He oh, was cool. like, you're like, he was like, you're carrying those notes way better than I am. Like you mm. should sing this. So. Uh, so yeah, so that's, that's just kind of how that's, you know, the way that it's sung on the record is the way that like I sung it when we got together. That's awesome. So, yeah. yeah. No, I encourage everyone to check that, this record yeah, out. Yeah, D4 it's, Rides it's, Again. I think it's track nine. I okay. Say. Yeah. That's the sound. Well, that, that kind of leads me to, uh, the op-eds that you wrote for the Tennessean. Yeah. There were two of them. And I, I want to read a quote from the first one, uh, that you wrote. Just a little bit of a background here. You're talking about Black History Month. Mm-hmm. 
So a, a quote from the first one, by highlighting the same players every year, February makes the story of my people less relevant when it should be a motivator to dig deeper and learn more about the true history of our nation and its forgotten trailblazers. Yeah. So what were you trying to get across there on that? that so question? I moved to Hendersonville with my family when I was in fourth grade. And my mom woke me up in the middle of the night and said, like, if we don't move, I don't know what's going to happen to your brothers. And, you know, like they were all like they had failed multiple grades, you know, like my oldest brother had flat out dropped out and like he just kind of rebelled and did his own thing when we moved to Hendersonville. But like my other two brothers, you know, like they were able to get back into their respective grades and graduate on time. It's like that's what she had to do as a parent, as a mother. Like we had to Nashville was bad for a long time. Like, they, you know, like people only see like the cool Nashville with all the shops right now. But like. We, we, we were a low income house and, you know, and like we mm-hmm. lived in some rough, ha- rough areas and, and that's what she felt like at that point in time, Hendersonville was affordable. So I, you know, like I was one of, I think four black kids in, in the entire elementary school. When we moved to Hendersonville, I would stay with those same black kids all the way through high school. Mm. And, you know, like it was never, I think there was maybe like eight in my graduating class of like 400. Yeah. And so, um, so when I was in middle school and black history months would come, it was like, all right, like let's bring out that box, you know, like dust it off. And it's the same people <laughs> like, all right, George Washington Carver, you know, like, yeah, right. um, it, it, in same exact order and everything It's sure. like, I, we're not learning anything. Like they're not teaching anything. Like, like people talk about like, and, and, and I don't, I mean, I don't want to diss on the Sumner County school system because I graduated with honors, you know, like I had scholarships and everything. Man, I, I just I, wanted to play. I music. went to high school in a completely different state. It was the same story. Yeah. So, you know, like, but we, we get to slavery and, uh, and social studies and, and they'd be like, yeah, it was a really rough time. And then, uh, Abraham Lincoln, you know, um, came and saved the day and everything went back to the way, it, you know, like they paint this such an unreal, unrealistic picture that like, you know, like when I got older and I started to go in the world myself, I felt underprepared, you know, like for mm-hmm. the way that I would be treated in certain situations and, and, you know, and like understanding why. Mm-hmm. So, um, for me, it was really about trying to understand more not about black history, but like about American history, because that's what it is, you yeah. know, like, and, yeah. and, and so like I, I doubled down on it and this past year, you know, like I did 28, you know, items, uh, about Nashville. That was and, a great know, one. 28 profiles in pride, one for each day of the month, celebrating the most overlooked contributors to our city, the African-Americans of Nashville. Yeah. And yeah. so, so, you know, like, I don't know if anybody read those or, or, or gave a shit, but like for me, I was like, man, I can't be speaking this nonsense and not um, or speaking the truth and, and not, you know, not giving a shit. Basically. And you're talking about one city. Yeah. And talking about one city That's and, 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 and the city and, that I love. And, and yeah. you know, like I, I feel like I, you know, even though from like fourth to like, you know, senior year or whatever, like as soon as I graduated, I was riding my scooter back to broadway and trying to gig you know like as soon as i was able to move out i did and i found a place in east nashville across from uh around the corner from the inglewood krogers you know like that's that's kind of like i felt like i I had to create the space for myself to be where i wanted to be i wanted to be where the music was was like there was an all-ages scene in, in hendersville but like you know like the musicians that were making a living they were playing downtown they were playing in nashville you know so Um, like, so to me, it was important to like get out there and be around different people. So that's what I did. 
And I like, I, man, I cried my eyes out when my mom woke me up and told me that I was like, I don't want to leave yeah. Scooter and Flip and like all my other buddies that I'd like, I don't even know if Pookie, if, I don't even know if those dudes are alive anymore, you know, <laughs> haven't seen them since third grade. But, but that's just, um, well, let me ask you about those, the, the 28 profiles. Could yeah. you, could you talk about a couple of those that, yeah, there, so, um, I knew Oprah was, um, uh, like grew up in, in, in the part in, in the area and went to TSU, but like, yep. I didn't know, uh, you know, like I didn't know that she was the, the first, uh, African-American female, like on network TV, you know, like at that mm-hmm. time. And what was always really interesting to me is, is some of this stuff happened a lot later, then you then you think that it like it probably yeah. should have like you you look yeah. at the sit-ins and and all of that stuff and you look at the school segregation and you're like wow like some of this stuff went into the 50s and 60s like when it probably should have happened in like the 20s and the 30s and the 40s but you know yep. like that's just how behind the world was and there's so there was so much hatred then there's still a lot of hatred and and people ask me all the time they're like you know like how much do you, do, you, do you think things have changed and I was like Slightly, but like they're just different now, you know, like people well, aren't as aggressive to your face, you know. Yes and no. I mean, we're just coming off a weekend where 13 people were killed in, in Buffalo, Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was completely motivated by yeah. race and and all this rhetoric that's going around that's just setting us back. Yeah. And 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 really, uh, I'm older than you, but I mean. I, I read about certain or hear about certain types of history yeah. and, and, and the way our country is mm-hmm. is trying to, I, I don't know, navigate all this stuff and think, oh, my gosh, this happened in my lifetime. Yeah. I may have been a little kid, but still this happened? Yeah. Really? This no, doesn't sound like something that, that right? should have even existed in the 20th century. The, I probably fuck up his name, but Ahmad... Um, the, the, the gentleman that got shot while he was running. So like yeah, I yeah. used to run around my neighborhood all the times I get looks from time to time. Um, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I, even when I lived in Hendersonville, like I would, I would run, like I've, I've always enjoyed running yeah. and, um, and I've been, I've been messed with so many times while I'm out running. People try to run me off the road. People honk at me. People yell shit, you know, like whatever. And it's like, I'm just literally a dude. And like when that happened, my wife was like, you can't, you can't run anymore. Like we can't, we can't risk it. Like what if somebody decides to do, like it puts you in a place like that where it's like, you mean to tell me that like, I can't even go outside, you know, Mm -hmm. like I've been harassed for doing nothing so many times. And it's like, you know, like I'm not trying to turn this into a race conversation, but, but you know, like that's, we're, we're in a life where, you know, like some people are privileged to not have to like worry about it. And, you know, and and then, you know, like you, it, it, it starts drawing sides and you're like, well, you know, like me personally, I'm like, I, like, I, I feel ever since I became a father, I was like, it's the things that I do and the things that I stand for are more important to me than they ever have been, because I feel like I need to set strong examples for them, you know, and like, and to be truthful to them. So, um, so yeah, like I've just kind of been paying attention and, and, you know, like I think about the stuff as, as it, as it comes and, and yeah, like that was one, you know, like my wife was like, you know, like we, like we got a family, you know, and, and like we, like these are just things that like, we just have to be careful and well, I and I, like, I, I've been living with this shit my whole life, but yeah. Exactly. So. I, my, my 17 year old was asked to, to, to join a group of young people to, have a regular monthly discussion about race issues mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And he's, he's been asked to be a part of this and 
he went to the first meeting and he's he's wondering whether or not he wants to do it or not and he's going to give it a, a you know a few more meetings to see if he wants to do it and i said this is great i said you know if you decide that you don't want to be involved in this conversation you can choose to opt out yeah there are so many people in our community that don't have that choice don't have that option you as a young white man have that choice yeah. to be to engage or not yeah. to engage diversity councils and stuff are like that that's like the the thing now you know like uh i remember um way before mickey guyton blew up like i she she did like a thing early on in the pandemic and i dm'd her and i was like i want to know more about and she was talking about this like cma diversity thing and i was like i want to know more about that because like I, I i'd love to be involved i was like you know like i think a lot of these organizations uh should have something similar but then like i also started thinking about it i was like you know are are these it, the way it appears now is that the diversity councils are like a mirage to make it seem like people are doing something because I'm on one right now and it's like we keep talking we keep going around in circles and I'm like you asked me to be part of it you want my opinion I'm telling you what you need to do and you're like we're going to do this instead and I'm like alright but you keep asking me like what's going to make black people feel more comfortable or people in color feel more comfortable <laughs> to do this thing and I'm like bam here it is gift wrap for you and they're like okay cool well we're going to do this and like we got this 12 step program and I'm like you know, like and, and I'm trying to fold laundry and get ready for bus call. And I'm like, oh, it's just, you know, it's like, so it's if you lot. really want to do something, you know, I got out there and marched after George Floyd. Like, I, I'm not saying like, like there's one right way or I mean, there's multiple wrong ways, but like there's not <laughs> one specific right way. But there are lots of things that we can be doing. Yeah. And um, and, you know, and then sometimes I get on these diversity councils and like, you know, I'm, I'm the only person of color and and I'm like so are, are we just looking specifically for my opinion or you know like what what do, like what do, what do we want because then you can't put all the weight of the decision just on me you know like we have to balance it off of other people because I can't speak for the black community like that's not fair yeah, you know like yeah. like I we all feel and need different things I just know what makes me feel comfortable it makes sure. me safe and also makes me feel like i can get back home you know like in one piece at the end of the night well so. right but 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 i think the the takeaway here is is your voice is what needs to be heard uh, we did a uh black drummers of nashville round table about yeah. four years ago five years yeah ago. yeah i remember that and uh I was preparing, I was trying to prepare for it, coming yeah. up with questions, notes, whatever, and I told my wife, I said, I'm just, I don't know what to ask, I don't know what to say. She goes, yeah. you don't know what to ask. Yeah. You, it's not your life, it's not your experience. You kind of just have to turn it over and just be like, you know, just let people talk because she like She goes, that, turn the microphone on and let it, and which is, uh, which is all I yeah. really had to do. So, so well, let me ask you this, I mean, because your voice matters, and, yeah. and, and this ties in with, working with Old Crow is on their Instagram account. They had, was it uh, Ask a Black Man series yeah. on Instagram. Yeah. Do you remember some of the questions that were asked? I during? do. And like, what was funny is like, you know, we were talking about, uh, this is another like, put your money where your mouth is situation where. And this sounds like you, th th this is with a supportive community yeah. within the band that within you're the working band. with. Like I, you which know, is, which is was beautiful. like, do you, you know, like, like, what what are your thoughts for Black History Month? Like, what do you? And I was like, well, I'm gonna write something. Uh, I'd already decided that, um, 
And then I, he was like, well, you know, just know, like, whatever you want to do, you know, like, if it wants to be education-wise, like, whatever, like, you you got the password. Like, you can do whatever you want. Like, obviously, just check it over with management. Make sure everybody's cool with it. Don't offend anybody. Like, don't mm-hmm. attack anybody. And I was like, yeah, like, I'm not trying to get any fights with anybody on social media. Because, <laughs> like, that's there's a lot of that nowadays where, like, people are just attacking, attacking people. Just stirring up some good trouble, man. Yeah, you know, but I, like... I was like, all right, uh, I was at home and I saw um, I saw an ad for like one of those old school Dave Chappelle commercials. Ask a black dude, Paul Mooney. And I was like, that's what we need to do. I was like, that's the problem with the world right now is I was like, people are afraid of what they don't understand. I was like, I'm about to give you a window into what it's like to be a black person mm-hmm. if you want it. You know, yes. and like there are people that reached out to me and was like, I don't have anything to ask black people. And I was like, cool, well then it's not for you. And that's okay, you know? But there were other people that, you know, like surprisingly there were a lot of questions that came in. Like there were so many questions that came in that like I would forget and then have to go back the next episode and be like, oh shit, like I need to recap and you know, do this. But um, you know, a lot of it was just genuine and honest for the most part. Like what can we do, you know, like to be better? Like how can we be more involved? You know, like, mm-hmm. um, is it okay as a white person? We're braids, you know, like it was everything from like the top to the bottom. And, and, you know, like ultimately, um, you can be as involved or as uninvolved as you want. Like you said, as a white person, like you, you get the benefit to, you know, like it, when you don't want to be involved, you don't have to, but you know, like if you want to be involved, like there's tons of ways to do it and you don't have to like march and, and, you know, just donate money to the NAACP, mm-hmm. you know, like there's other, like there's tons of avenues. And, yeah. and I, the one thing that I remember that I said specifically is like, if you just want to start with your circle, you know, like I have right. old aunts that say racist shit from time to time. My wife is white. Our kids are biracial, you know, like I was like, so I can't have, you know, like my wife feeling uncomfortable, like when we go around my family. So like there were multiple times where I'd be like, that's not, that's not okay. Like, come on, uh, you know, like insert, like we can be better than this, you know? And, and like, they normally don't have a reason. It's just, they're a black person that grew up in the sixties and like, they're still holding on to something, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So I, every person that quote unquote trespassed against me or whatever is like, I don't hold anything against them because if, if, if I did, then like, I feel like, I would be that person. Like I, mm. I wouldn't be able to let it go and I wouldn't be able to move on with my life. But mm. you know, but like I, I learned from the experiences and, and it is what it is. Yeah. So yeah. you just have to be realistic about your life and, and where you're at. I'll tell you a, a kind of funny, but fucked up story. Um, they, they used to make fun of me because I always wear my laminate with me everywhere I go, everywhere on stage. Oh, the like, band. Yeah. Yeah. Like okay. every band that I've ever played in always had my laminate with me. And I was in Detroit in 2016 and um, a guy at a venue like came up and like I thought it was going to be an altercation. He was like, why are you trying to steal this gear? And I'm bringing gear into the venue, mind you, not taking gear out, bringing gear in. He's like, why are you trying to steal this gear? And I was like, I'm not trying to steal the gear. I was like, I'm loading in. And he was like, like, this is closed off, you know, like you're not supposed to be in here. And I was like. I am supposed to be in here. Like I'm playing drums tonight. I'm loaded. And like, just kept verbally attacking me to the point to where I had to go get the, like he followed me to go get the tour manager. So the tour manager let him know like that I was the drummer 
and I was in Amanda's band and, and the band leader. And like, I was supposed to be there to be setting up and, and, you know, like, and it was crazy. I don't think I've ever played that venue again. And I, like, I honestly, I don't remember what the guy looked like or what he said. What was his like. reaction when, when he was, he, he just said, okay. And just turned away. No apology, no nothing, you Good know? And God. I was like, and this is in Detroit, you know? And, and I'm like, all right, you know, like Detroit's a pretty rural area, you know, yeah, but, I mean, but also, yeah. you know, like I know I play in Americana music. I go weeks without seeing other black people sometimes. So, but, um, but it, you know, like I was like, I, immediately after that, I went straight to the van and I was like, I don't even think we didn't have laminates. I was like, I need something that tells me that I belong here. And so like we had our tour manager make laminates <laughs> and then we always had laminates from that point moving forward. And I just always wore it so that way that like I wouldn't ever have to be like I belong here because I know I'd look like I don't, you know, like based on stereotypical, you know, like um, early 1900s thinking, you know, like, yeah, like I'm not supposed to be in a country band. I don't look like anybody who else has been in a country mm -hmm. band. So um, so like after that, I was like, yeah, man, like I. I always need something. And we were we were here for bus call one night and I just lived like four minutes up the road and we left it. And they were like, no, nah, you'll be fine without it. And I was like, no, nah, dude, I was like, the bus can wait five minutes. I need to go home and get that laminate. So because it's that important to me that like I never have yeah, to have yeah, those interactions. Yeah. So it was a long, weird day for me in Detroit that day. But, uh, you know, like I said, I, I learned something and, and like that's comfort to me. So that's amazing. So it, and, and on the far opposite side, if I'm given a laminate, I hate wearing laminates. Yeah. And so I either just like put it in my bag or tie it to my belt loop so it's yeah. it's on me but but it's but, like but, it's kind of lives its own life and be free but i yeah. go i go around i go backstage yeah. i walk around i walk on stage yeah. with past guards past security past local crew and no one ever asks me yeah. i just you just act like I've never been. That's that's yeah. It's fucking I DJ'd insane, a thing man. the other day. I, I DJ a little bit on the side, and um, and I and it was a pretty high profile gig, and and um, I was just trying to get a bottle of water before I started, and uh, there was a security guard at the like right at the beginning of the catering area, and I was like, you know, I the other guy had walked me back there, so I didn't think anything of it. They didn't give me any credentials. I was like, you know, but. He, he saw me come in and out and, and, you know, as I'm walking, he like got in my way and was like, whoa, whoa, where are you going? And I was like, I'm just trying to get a bottle of water before I get started. And he was like, oh yeah, you know, like, let me see your credentials. I was like, I was just, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't have anything. And he was like, oh, well, I can't let you in without any credentials. And I was like, all right. And he was like, why don't you go over there and ask that security station to give you something that says that you're supposed to be down here. And so uh, I go over there and they're like, what do you need? And they're like, we can't give you any credentials. I was like, look, I'm just trying to get a bottle of water before I have to DJ this five hour set, mm -hmm. you know, like, mm -hmm. and they were like, we'll just give you some of our water because that'll probably make things easier. And I was like, cool. I was like, I'm not trying to go back there to get anything else other than two bottles of water. So they gave me two bottles of water. As I'm walking back by, he's like, yeah, like everything sorted. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. He was like, all right, you know, thanks. And as in the distance, I hear two people come up and, and the guy's like, shows his credentials. He's like, they don't have their credentials. And he's like, oh, you're good. And just lets them in. And I was like, and you know, of course I look back, it's a group of white people. And I was like, that's the world we look at. And he smiled at me as he saw me look back and, and you know, and and that's the world we live in. I was like, you know, like I'm a, I'm, I'm a person that feels like, um, I, I need credentials because, you know, like I, I need to, yeah, you know, I, oh, I need to know that I'm in a place where I've been confirmed to be in and yeah. like people need to see that confirmation. Yeah. 
Yeah. To be involved in a group like Old Crow, I mean, it's, it's, uh, hopefully there, there's an opportunity to kind of like. Yeah, uh, well, we're doing, I feel like we're doing some, you know, some important work and, uh, you know, trying to bridge the gaps in, in a lot of ways as far as, you know, like not just, um, I think on this record, there's stuff for the old Old Crow fans, you know, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, old time music. And then there's also, you know, like stuff for the modern day Old Crow fan that, you know, like I said, we're in a world where like people are being a lot more expressive than they are, you know, like things matter more than they did. I don't think it matter more. I think that people are just more um, intact with their effort and how they want to display how yeah. things matter. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, like you can't just be quiet anymore. It's like, and you can, you know, and a lot of people are, but like, I, I just feel like, you know, like I said, I, I, I can't, I, I don't have the option to not. So, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and I also, you know, like on those laminates, I was never on them. I'm on the old curl ones now. So I can be like, that's me. Right yeah, right, right. I actually had to <laughs> help Corey get into catering the other day. I was like, that's him. <laughs> and I had to do that for Amanda and Jason one time, you know, like, because they got locked out of their green room. It's funny when it happens to everybody, but like, it sucks when it feels like it's a solo effort. So yeah, I understand. I so, understand. Yeah. One last question I have for you, man, if, uh, if you have time, yeah, yeah, is, of course. um, is there something about playing country music, playing drums that a lot of us kind of overlook and think, Oh, that's easy. I can do that. And maybe something that you've discovered is like, Whoa, this takes a, a level of skill that is really important to make this feel right, to make this feel authentic, and to not take it for granted that, like, man, jazz is hard, there's fusion, certain types of rock, blah, 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 but country, nah, yeah. it's easy. Yeah, you're not playing in multiple time signatures in country music. Uh, <laughs> you're at least in one song. I like country music, I've always described as deceptively easy. Like it, it, you know, like it, it sounds easy mm-hmm. and it looks easy when you see people play it. But then like you sit down, it's a, it's more to me, this style of music is more about the space. I think than, than most styles of music are mm-hmm. because it's very easy to overplay. Um, and that was one of the first things I learned when I watch Eddie Bears play, like why, why not, you know, like reference him at this point, because like I'm sitting there and I was like, he didn't do a feel going back into the verse. He just hit a crash. Okay, like he didn't hit a crash at all going back into that verse. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like he just hit the snare twice. I'm like, you know, like I watched him play multiple songs without ever playing the toms, just playing two and four on the snare drum, crashing on the, you know, like on the one, going back into a spot, you know, like building dynamics with, you know, the kick drum and the snare and the hi-hat and then bringing it out. I was like, I was so intrigued because I'm like, man, I like, I, I, I don't do a lot of fills, but I was like, I, I like jump fills, you know, like what mm-hmm. drummer doesn't like drum fills? Yeah. Like they, they clean and smooth things up if you do them right. And so like, I kept watching him and I was like, man, I'm overplaying. I was like, I, I am. And you know, like, and that style works really, really well for him. I'm also like, you know, like I'm more of a, a showman. So, uh, like I'm, I'm trying to add stick trolls and, and, you know, like do all these other things while doing these roles at the same time. Cause in the area of, in, in the era of drums that I came up in, it was about more of providing a show than just being like, you couldn't just be good. Like you had to do something else. So, um, but I like, it's really, like it's difficult to play country music and not everybody can do it. That's why, mm-hmm. you know, like that's why most, a lot of people don't, you know, like people prefer pop or, you know, whatever, because it's more involved. And I think country music is just as involved. It's just where you decide 
in the beginning, I was, I didn't know how to play on the beat and I didn't know how to play ahead of the beat. I only knew how to play behind the beat. I had to find my way through playing all three to find this, the space to like, you know, like create the flow that it takes. Because if you're playing a shuffle, like you probably want to be on the beat or just like slightly ahead, depending on where the bass player is putting it. Sure. So, um, so I had to, and through my musical journey, I had to find out all these things. It's still not perfect. You know, like I'm still working on this shit all the time. Oh, me too. Um, but you know, like, and, and when you're playing with a, I love playing with Morgan Jenning and like he, he's probably the most consistent bass player that I've ever played with. And it's like, man, I fucked up so many intros to Old Crow in the beginning. And I was like, can you please just like lead me into some of these? Because he's the only person that like can truly read, catch and like, know like this is what his fiddle kickoff is going to be. And this is where it's going to land. Yeah. Um, when he's had to, he's had to be the rhythm section. He's had to carry the weight. For yes. Me. And like when we, when I joined the man, I was like, you know, like we didn't have like a whole lot of conversation, but like we were on the bus one day and he was like, I begged y'all for a real drummer for years. And you finally gave me one. Thank you. And I was like, <laughs> that made me feel really good because I was like, all right, cool. Like, so, so, like this is gonna be like a thing right, right. you know um but yeah like it's i mean you're just listening and and country music is there's there's so many subtleties and we're talking about traditional traditional country traditional music, country yeah, music yeah. because right. like new country music sound like pop now basically yeah it's like pop and or, or and, cool, and yeah. you know like there's a lot of production like a couple of these songs you know like on these new records like we core or we got another record that's in the can that's going to come out at some point that oh, we cool. recorded here as well um, we, uh, we recorded all around one mic, you know, like kind of like they would do in the old days mm-hmm. and, uh, no, no overdubs, you know, like just kind of all together. We recorded a song like that at the Opry backstage before we went on. Oh, cool. Um, it's just really, really interesting. Like, and, and you really have to be listening and paying attention to find those subtleties, you know? Um, like I said, that, that Vince tune, when I call your name, as I played it more and more and more. Um, I was able to create more and more space because I kept taking out things that didn't belong there. I was like, when I played these songs, I wanted them to sound exactly like the record, almost to the point to where the bass player like tapped me on the shoulder and was like, "Hey, I think you should do more in this song." And I was like, "I don't know," because like the record just feels and sounds so good. I was like, "I just want to let everybody else, you know, do their thing." And that's when Vince came over and tapped me, and I was like, "All right, well, like that lets me know like I'm in the right direction." My job is to create that runway for him, you know? Right. And I think that's, you're, you're touching upon it, a really important point that uh, certain types of music, like country yeah. music, like traditional country music, is the drums weren't there at the beginning. They, they, yeah. Then they were brought in later. And, I mean, it's a relatively new development. Yeah. But still, at its core, it's all about serving the song. It's totally. all about serving what's going on with the vocalist. Exactly. And so, there, there is a subtle distinction in yeah. the way you approach this as a drummer. I can't remember his name. I would know it in in the later years, right before John Prime passed away. His drummer, Kenny. Um, Kenny Malone. Ken, no, not Kenny Malone. Um, uh, he played with John Hyatt for a little bit too, which is how he. And maybe I'm. Maybe it's not Kenny. It could be something else. Uh, I'm so. God, I should so, know. I should know. I'm so bad with names. Like, <laughs> I, I would know him, and his name would pop in if he if if he stepped in this room. But I remember talking to him because a man that we'd done some festivals and stuff together, and he had just he was new to playing with John, and he said, you know, John didn't have drums for years, you know, like mm-hmm. as as a touring artist, and so he was like, you know, like we never really did a lot of rehearsals or anything like that. He was like, every night, like I'm just kind of coming in, and just trying to not get in the way, 
You know, sure. like he was like, I'm, I'm playing very tucked back and reserved because like, it's not about me. It's about John, you know, like we're, we're preserving these, these songs and, and, and doing our best to seal them up and present them to an audience who wants to hear John's songs, not my songs. And I was like, yeah, yeah right. like that's a great way of looking at it. And so like, I kind of took that. It was just like, yeah, like it's not about me. So when I was playing that, that waltz and I was like, kind of because it's the, the, the backbeat is so behind that I was like, I just want it to sway and feel good, and I don't want anything else. I was barely playing the bass, feathering the bass drum, mm. barely playing the, the snare. If you listen to that tune, like it's like where the snare lands, like, and you're like, man, that feels so good. You don't want to mess it up. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, I don't think he ever plays a feel in that entire song. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, so that's it's what I, I'm, I'm, I've always been old school in the sense of like, you know, like, Ron said this on, on a tour, you can either be a liability or an asset. And as soon as you walk on stage or on a bus or in a practice room, whatever, you need to decide right then and there, like what person you want to be. And that basically determines your, you know, your flow into the process. Like, are you going to be a disruption or are you, are you here to make things operate smoothly? And I always want to be an asset because that's what keeps you getting called back. So that reminds me of a quote by Chet Baker. You have to be a damn good drummer to be better than no drummer at all. That's true. <laughs> People used to say all the time, like, uh, you know, like, I mean, if, if you mess up, we'll just call it Lisa's. Like people used to say that all the time in the 90s. My brother used to love it when people, because my little brother's a drummer, and I'm like, yeah. Uh, but that just sucks to get replaced by a drum machine. But, you know, yeah, you're right. You got to be yeah. really good to be better than no drummer, because the last but, thing you want is people being like, this would have been better without him. Dude, and, and gosh, that, that's, that that's sentiment does real... not apply any better than working with a band like Old Crow Medicine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come yeah. on, man. I really, like, I in, in the beginning, because I was like, you know, like, I, I've known of Old Crow for years, and I, I just really had to keep thinking to myself, I'm like, like, like God, like, how do I... How do I like blend with this? You know, like my first shows were so chill with them because I was like, I don't want to, you know, like they're an established 20 year plus band. Like I said earlier, like I, you know, like I need to come in and play with these guys that have been playing for multiple years together and just mold and find your space. You know, sure. Yeah. Like butter, just slide in and, and that be that. And it, and it kind of carry. And along that way, you know, like we created like dynamic and this record's different than any record that they've had. And like, that's the process of like the last two years working. It is, that. but it still sounds like them. Yeah. No, yeah. there's still a lot in there for sure. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But yeah, I'm excited to see what the future holds because that's great. This one, I, I love it. I, I can't wait for the next one too. That's amazing, man. And all the well, other congratulations, I'll play on. dude, on this. On this, say what's that? I said, and all the other records I'll play on. <laughs> Come on, man. Well, yeah. man, it's it's been nice meeting you. I, I I know I've seen you around. I've been here for 20 years, and I know we've yeah. run into each other in for some sure. event or, or other, and, or I've seen you on a mural. We've probably been on a yeah, <laughs> got lucky on that one too. We've probably been on a on a bill, and it's like seeing each other passing, you know, give each other the nod. It's like you're coming in with your symbol bag, and I'm yeah. coming out with mine. And I'm going, it, hey, who, 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 who are you stealing? What yeah, are, yeah, yeah, right. Wait, this did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I appreciate you taking the time and 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 kind of lending your voice to some things that we want to talk about yeah. and some things that 
I feel like are important to talk about that we don't talk about enough. And um, I make no apologies about using this platform for that. Yeah. Um, because uh, there's a brotherhood and sisterhood within the drumming community yeah. that is strong. Um, and I think there's an opportunity for us to hear our voices from our brothers and sisters. Absolutely. Um, that, that needs to be discussed. So uh, thanks for taking some time out thanks of our drummy me. drum talk. Um, to talk about your experiences, it's really great. And um, no, this this new record, Paint This Town, check it out. Yeah, it's been out You're... since Earth Day, April twenty second. All right, out on ATL Records everywhere. You can get it at Walmart. Hello, limited, being at limited edition green vinyl. Yes, but thank yeah. you for for having me. I did want to say like I've, I've seen a couple of my buddies do one of these, and yeah. and uh, and I'm just honored to be here and awesome. and to be you know chatting with you making new friends and yeah, yeah you know like i want to see everybody succeed that's the thing about the drum community yeah it's like you know like drummers can't be like let's get together and like jam like guitar players can you know like we actually have gigs and like do real work and I'm although just- <laughs> now with you singing and playing mandolin and everything else like that you could get yeah, together i could, with yeah, I could get in and jam for sure do that dude. yeah no, awesome man thanks jerry thank you matt appreciate it so there you go my conversation with drummer jerry pentecost Go check out Old Crow Medicine Show's new album, Paint This Town. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview with drummer Eric Aylesworth. He is from Atlanta, and he plays drums for the group Jet Black Roses. But for now, thanks everyone so much for listening. Stay safe, stay sane, and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.